Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me, it's fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. And, oh, mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt, Sammy. I just want to point out that uh, Sammy Hadjassad has recently been named as one of the top automotive influencers in Canada by a Toronto-based organization. And I just want to congratulate him because no one, uh, <laughs> no one would know if we didn't tell you and he would never tell you himself. Of course I won't tell you. It's embarrassing. It's not embarrassing. He's a, He is influential and an influencer, and he's probably influencing millions, if not, <laughs> oh, sure. if not thousands, of readers and listeners. So I just wanted to congratulate him, and uh, we can return to the podcast as regularly scheduled. Well, thanks for making me blush, but know that uh, the only thing that is influencing me is you every single time we do this podcast. Uh um, for people who are listening to the podcast for the first time, we're a pair of automotive journalists, and we have a lot of really fun stuff to talk to you about, um, primarily new cars, sometimes some old cars, uh, some neato trips, and auto shows, and uh, I think we're going to take it away with some cars this week. A pair of really family-friendly cars. Ben, why don't you tell me what you've been driving recently? Well, I have been driving a uh, actually very family-friendly 2018 Chevrolet Traverse. That is a very family-friendly Traverse. Okay. Um, tell me about the Traverse because it's all new this year with a brand-new platform. It looks kind of sharp. I like the way that it looks um, a little bit boxier and tough. Well, you know, it's it's kind of like when it, when it came out at the auto shows, did the auto mm-hmm. show circuit last year, the first thing I thought of when I looked at it is they basically kind of Xeroxed the um i should say photocopied i feel like xerox is a is a brand that's on the wane <laughs> no you don't even worry about it you first of all don't mention brands that aren't paying us for this podcast yet. that's like a xerox, very you can't do that yet that's a very good that's a very good policy uh so i thought that it looked a lot like a tahoe in prof profile especially mm-hmm. with how they took the rear greenhouse of the traverse if you look mm-hmm. at it now it's got that really big hunk of glass in the back and mm-hmm. And the glass is it's separated from the front by that huge like diagonal piece of steel, which yeah. is exactly like the Tahoe. So they beefed it up, they butched it up, they wanted to make it look more truck-like. But I'm happy to say that it still drives like a really really big car. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit more. What is that? Is that that's a good thing to you? You want that? You want it to be like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, if you if you wanted to buy something that drove like a truck, you can buy the Tahoe, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no need for a GM or Chevrolet in this case to duplicate the effort, and uh, they've managed to keep the the experience behind the wheel very unique. And you know, the ta- the 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 Traverse is a vehicle that takes a bit of flack, notably from Sammy Hajisad, who is hassling <laughs> me all week about driving the Traverse. He's not a huge fan of it, or wasn't oh. it wasn't last week? His tune okay. might have changed this week. But I've always liked it. Um, I've always found it to be it's extremely practical. It's got lots of room inside, more so than you would think. Uh, I think a lot of people, they look at big, big SUVs like the the Tahoe, the Suburban, and the Yukon XL and think, wow, they must be huge inside. The reality is they're not that big uh, as they are on the outside because the, the full frame takes up a lot of space uh, that can be used for other things. Like if you look at the new Yukon and the, and the Tahoe and the, the Suburban, they all have a folding flat rear seat now, but there's no space underneath the vehicle to put that seat. So there's like, they had to raise the load floor in the back and it's created yeah. this big hump and it actually has less 
less cargo space than it used to because of this. Mm-hmm. For a vehicle like the Traverse, you don't have that problem. With the unibody construction, you're a lot freer to move things around and place things. So if you need to hide something underneath the floor, you can do that easily. If you need to lower the floor to um, make make more space inside for knee room, leg room, that kind of thing, you can do that. And you don't have to worry about off-road clearance so much because it's not a vehicle people are going to be taking on the trail. So again, a lower floor is not necessarily a bad thing. Okay, so let me back up for a moment. The Traverse, the reason I was kind of harsh on the Traverse when I first heard that you had this thing and I was kind of giving you a hard a hassle about it because the, the last generation Traverse, it was honestly the most generic um, crossover, three row crossover I could think of. Well, it it, had, but it worked though. Like what, what's wrong with being generic if you're also competent? I mean, I guess you're right, but it had no personality. It had no value. You wouldn't you wouldn't find a reason to buy it over a Highlander or a Pilot or uh, I disagree with you or there. a Durango. Well, I, well, that's wow, wow. Okay, so you've you've served me up a couple nice things there. I think um, the Durango is not nearly as large inside. I don't think in terms of passenger room, it doesn't feel as big. But more to the point, it's much more truck like. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it, it has, you can get it with a V8. It has a, it's a rear wheel drive based platform. It's a different kind of experience. It's more of a towing oriented vehicle as well. It, it's, it's more utility. I'd say it's far, far more on the SUV side than the crossover side. Okay. But with regards to the Highlander, the Highlander is a lot smaller inside. It definitely feels a lot smaller okay. inside. So I, you know. So you're the, saying that the Traverse was always the big option. Yeah, it for, had the, for... it had a usable third row. And I think it had something like 116 uh, cubic feet of cargo space, some crazy number like that. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, it's not, it's it's right below what you would get from a minivan. You're not going to beat a minivan for cargo, but it was, you know, arguably better looking than a minivan. And mm-hmm. I think the value really came from the practicality. Okay. But with this new one, what can you tell me, beyond what you've already mentioned, um, can you tell me that they made life a little bit easier on the, um, on the passengers and the drivers? What, what have they done here? What have they made it? What first of all, I've I've got to back that up a little bit. Seeing recent Chevrolet products, they've really improved the interior quality of the vehicles. Can you say the same thing about this Traverse? Yeah, it looks nice inside. I mean, mm-hmm. it has the. I, I've always liked the the recent My Chevrolet or what is it called? Is it called My Chevrolet or IntelliLink or MyLink? I think IntelliLink or... is is GMC. Maybe it's MyLink. Um, it's it, they're all the same system with different branding. But mm-hmm. the the infotainment system in the Chevrolets, it's good. It's easy to use. It's it's logical. You don't get confused with menus. It's pretty responsive, and it doesn't try to do too much. Like there's not a crazy amount of functionality in it and i appreciate that so it also comes with a, a wi-fi hotspot if you're into that kind of thing i'm kind of neither here nor there on that but some people are into it um but like like you said sammy i was in a, a top trim level version of the vehicle it had nice leather and a nice dash and um all the features that i would want it had a few features that i i could really kind of take or leave like it has a uh, crash notification um which is sorry which, um what Sorry, pre pre collision <laughs> notification. Where basically, okay. basically the I like dri- crash. <laughs> <laughs> the I think every vehicle has crash notification. Uh, uh, excuse me, sir. You seem to have crashed. Gra- it's gravity assisted crash no- crash <laughs> notification. It, it 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 projects you directly into the steering wheel. Um, but uh, no, it's it's got that system where when you're you're driving and the the vehicle in front of you starts to brake and the car panics because maybe you're asleep. <laughs> And maybe okay. you're not going to break, and it flashes those red lights on the on the windshield. Yeah, and, and terrifies so, you. 
It's so annoying. And, you know, I, I think about this technology a lot. Like, you and I, we're, we're fairly young, and we've grown up using technology. But I think about older drivers, and I mean older, older drivers, the, the elderly, and how terrifying these systems must be. Because the, the GM system, it's loud. It goes like, beep, 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 and, like, it throws yeah. these red lights. And all I can think of is, like, an 80-year-old driver thinking, am I already dead? Is this is this death? Was that oh. the signal? No, like, it's scary. Like, how do you react to that? Okay, okay. Well, first of all, I don't get that sense until I start reversing a vehicle and it has, like, the sonar and the beeping. And then as soon as you get just close enough where you're not going to hit something, it goes flatline. And I'm like, when did they realize that's the the best noise to make? I know, like it's terrifying. You perfectly parked into, like, parked at uh, next to a wall or a pillar or something. And flatlining is, like, the noise that it's going to make. So I had a I had a BMW recently that had um, parking <clears throat> sonar. And it had a – there's an option on the menu where – Every time you're driving away from a stop or when you slow down, it will auto-activate the parking sonar, regardless of whether you're going forwards or backwards. And we had a huge snowfall, so all of the sensors were covered. <laughs> so every single light, when I would stop and pull away, instant flatline. <laughs> and it would, like, take over the screen and show me all these red zones. And it was terrible. And, like, at first... I just kept hitting the parking assist off button, which which turns off that instance of the parking assist, but it reactivates every single time you stop, and I was losing my mind, and finally I went into the iDrive menu, and I found, like, this auto system, and I managed to turn everything off, so, yeah, the future, the future is annoying. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I need to ask you a couple more questions about this thing. Um, do you know what the trim level name was? Because in the U.S. there's a couple of um, of interesting trims of the Traverse. Particularly, there's an RS trim, which is typically, I mean, that's what what that's what Chevrolet usually calls like a rally sport. Like a, there's an an RS version of a Camaro, like and an RS version of a Sonic. They're usually the cooler versions of the car. Um, and this one, the top of the line in the U.S. is something called a High Country, which like you were saying before, it makes me think that they're really targeting truck buyers or people who want a truck. Yeah, because cause the high, high country, country is the Silverado trim level. Mm. So now there's a Traverse lineup uh, called High Country. And then well, in between, I, below that is the Red Line, which I thought, am I mistaken or was Red Line a Pontiac, uh, not a Pontiac, a Saturn name? It was a Saturn name, I believe, but I actually had a Red Line. Mine was a Red Line. And I think okay, the cool. Red Line is on top of the Premier trim. I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Uh, it's kind of funny. Of, it's kind of like that RS trim. On a premier model, it's so interesting. It's got all this like black accent, right? So yeah, but it's it, it's monochromatic with uh, red accents. So like right. there there's red on the wheels, there's red inside. But here's the thing, like this is the second Redline Chevrolet I've driven in the last couple of months. I had a Malibu as well. <laughs> so <laughs> these are two vehicles that don't need a Redline edition. And yeah. what's weird about Redline is you can get it on I think every single vehicle Chevrolet makes except maybe the Corvette. So <laughs> it's it doesn't really give you anything except appearance. Right. I, I don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure there's no performance difference. So it's weird. Like, I don't know if there's anyone out there who's looking for kind of a an aggressive styling on a Traverse. It kind of works. Like, it didn't. it's not an unattractive vehicle. I think it looks good. I, I just don't know if I would go for the Redline thing. It's not a sporty vehicle. It drives well, but it's, mm -hmm. you know... It's big. It's relatively heavy. You're gonna notice that if you if you try to turn it too quickly, uh, it's extremely comfortable um, in pretty much all the seating positions. And remember when I was droning on and on about SUV size a while back? This actually has a usable third row, which is mm -hmm. something you can't say about a lot of three row SUVs. Like the Highlander, I would not put anyone back there unless they were a kid. It's just okay, not great. Yeah, I understand that. Um, and uh, you could put an adult in the back of a Traverse. It's not terrible. 
That's amazing. Okay. And, and you have that big window too, which is another thing. Sometimes you're in a crossover, you're in the back, and you feel like you feel like you're in a solitary confinement cell because yeah. there's, there's no daylight and it's it's horrible. But you don't get that with the Traverse. You feel left behind, that's for sure. Um, there's a lot of really small features that I really like about the Traverse as well. Um, as I'm learning more about it, um, I love the hidden storage compartments in these cars. The one behind the infotainment system. Yeah. You can keep a cookie warm back there. I'm sorry, what? Well, so you know how like sometimes you get a, like an oversized novelty cookie because they're fun? And inside... You call them novelty cookies. I call them regular cookies. Okay, well, not everyone has your voracious appetite, Sammy. But for those of us cookies, who only eat... better. For those of us who only eat giant cookies from time to time, they, uh, they fit behind this. You push a button and the screen rises up and there's room back there for a cookie. And because it's inside the dash, it's warm. So you can keep your cookie warm on your way home from wherever you buy your cookie. Okay, is that it's all? Not, it's That's not weird. What I'm trying to figure out with this, with these screens, they're actually quite small. I don't want to be rude. They're neat. They're very small. What do you uh, mean very small? What can you? You can put a cookie in there. A cookie is a flat, a flat crumbly object. What okay. else can you put? You can in there? probably. Are you saying you want to put a handgun back there? Like what? Do you, <laughs> what do you know. need to put back there? Well, see, that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, what goes back there? Whatever you, know, you want, man. You could stack a whole bunch of stuff. You could put Lego back there and be rattling around in your dash the whole time. You could. Uh, <laughs> I miss could... the noise of my old Astro made. Why don't we just throw some? <laughs> yeah, you want to flashback to the old GM? It's. <laughs> <laughs> um, you could put Chinese takeout, the little pagoda box. You could put that in there. Oh yeah, like a little a little uh, Thai food place. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, and there's a USB port in there, so you can charge something while you're. Yeah, so eating. if you want to charge up your Thai food, you can do that. <laughs> or you could put like a hot. You could get. You know, you can get like beverage warmers that you use USB. If you want to increase the fire risk in your vehicle, you could put a mug on top of a fire fire creating USB device, and then put that behind a whole bunch of electronics. <laughs> <laughs> and then drive really carefully. Well, here's what I think is interesting. You can actually uh, pin lock that um, compartment. Here's you know, the you thing. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. Who's driving your car that you don't trust? <laughs> first of all. Second of all, what the hell do you have in there? <laughs> that like that first. That's what that, I'm trying to okay, get at. No. What do you have in there that's so? So dangerous, it has to be pin-locked, yet not dangerous enough you would l remove it from the car. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, it can get stolen, it's fine, but no one can know I have it. <laughs> Something very sentimental, I assume. Like, uh, a, like love letters, or um, yeah. maybe maybe a, like a macaroni, like child's craft. Well, actually, you. this is something that you don't know, and this is the first time revelation, is I have the very first podcast of uh, of ours, and I've taken it off. I've actually uh, recorded onto a physical medium so that in case something terrible happens to digital um, media, like, I don't know, the cloud goes down or something like that. I don't know how the internet works, but <laughs> imagine, the, imagine, you know, the cloud went down. Yeah, and I wanted to listen to a podcast. I've got a physical medium of the of a physical version, and I don't mean like on a USB stick. I mean like I have a tape, uh, and I want to keep that uh, secure. And I'm going to do that by putting that in the back of the uh, in that storage area. I have a solid gold disc <laughs> yes. of you doing your hello and welcome supercut. Yes. And I was originally going to send it up on the Voyager three space probe <laughs> in case it encountered alien civilizations. To let them know what humanity is all about. But NASA was like, hey now, uh, 
we really can't do that kind of thing. Payload's expensive, and Sammy's a security risk, so sorry, buddy. Oh, no. But, okay. I mean, I have that. It's there. It's here. It's, All right. It's, it, it, too bad it's not out there in the universe. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Let's get going back to this traverse. There's one feature that I really like about the traverse, and you got to let me, um, you got to tell me a little bit more about it. It will show a a bow tie on the back of the vehicle when you're walking up to it. Yeah, right by the left exhaust port. <laughs> yeah, what do you think of that? I think it's silly, but uh, there, right? I no, I didn't see. I I it made me silly because I was like, that's a weird place to put a bow tie, and then I realized that's where you're supposed to swing your foot to open the tailgate, right? Oh, I thought you were supposed to stomp on it like furiously in order. Well, to... Well, you can do that whatever you need to do. <laughs> It makes me feel like they were they were like, uh, we're gonna put the traverse lo- the Chevrolet logo on the ground, and when you put your foot over it, then you can lift the tailgate hands free. So you basically there's gonna be a lot of people staring at this logo, swinging their foot under the under the car until it works, and assuming it works. Did it work? I never tried it. Of course, it I didn't mean work. no, but I mean in the winter, I'll tell you why I didn't try it. First of all, because I got the car stuck, <laughs> and I got it oh. stuck in. I got it stuck. Just because it got stuck doesn't mean you can't open the tailgate. Maybe you should let me finish. Okay. Wow. Um, so as I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted. I got it stuck by high siding it in a whole bunch of snow, hmm. which basically covered the entire underside of the vehicle in stiff, hard, unyielding snow, which also covered the sensor <laughs> that allows you to open the tailgate. So that's why I didn't use it. And so you, I'm and an you're it, too, you were too the, scared to get out of the vehicle and try it again later. The takeaway is I'm an idiot. Oh. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's what happened. Um, interesting. Did you want to talk have... about? Do you want to talk about getting stuck in an all-wheel drive crossover? Yeah, actually, tell me a little about a little bit about that because I understand that this car has a very intuitive knob underneath <laughs> the near the near the gear selector. What makes an intu- what makes a knob intuitive? Is it when it solves its first murder based only on a few clues left at the scene or Yeah, using its intuition, naturally. Or is it when it it create it, it removes interpersonal conflict by getting to the heart of the issue and leaving emotion aside? No, no, definitely the former. Um I will say that um it's got a, it's got a bunch of all-wheel drive modes. It's got um, what does it got here? It's got a four a four by four slash snow mode. It has an off road mode, uh, and a tow haul mode, and a so, front wheel drive mode. So here's what happened. Um, I I was driving the V6 version of the car, which has 310 horsepower. It's a was a 3.6 liter engine, Sammy. Uh, yeah. And there's also a turbo, which what I think is. What you me for? I didn't drive your car. Well, yeah, but you know 3. a lot 6. about cars. Yes. Yeah, you, know, you know a lot about cars. It's got a nine speed auto. <laughs> A nine-speed auto, which is all new for this year. I believe the 3.6 is almost completely new as well. Okay. Um, but the the there's also a Turbo 4, which I've never driven. With the bulk of this vehicle, I'm not sure I would recommend it. I will uh, say that the... I'm not sure there is a Turbo 4, my friend. I think there is, isn't there? Maybe on the front-wheel drive models. Maybe. All right. Well, regardless, um, the uh, one thing that impressed me about the 3... This is a 4,600-pound vehicle. So the, the 3.6... Much smoother than it used to be. That was kind of the uh, one of the knocks against older implementations of this V6 inside GM's SUV portfolio. It it wasn't super smooth. The power was there. I think it was 288 horsepower uh, in its previous inca- incarnation. But now with the 310 horses, it's much smoother. It's quiet. Uh, I felt like the vehicle had all the power I needed. 
until I got to the snowbank. And he, mm-hmm. here's here's the issue. So in Montreal, we had a huge – I was talking earlier about the BMW. But we had a huge two weeks of snow, just constant. And I mean almost completely constant. And it was very cold, so we had no melting in between. So snow removal in the city is not exactly fast. And on some side streets, you end up with all the parking is basically you know one, two feet of snow. And I was driving the Traverse, which had winter tires on it. And I thought I would be totally – I didn't park it in a snowbank, but I parked it in an unplowed part of the road. And I thought that would be totally cool. It wasn't cool at all. Uh, <laughs> what happened was as soon as I managed to ram it into the snow, it got stuck. And I mean it got stuck with so much snow underneath the front of the vehicle that I high-sided it and the tires were just spinning on one side and not spinning on the other. I tried all of the four-wheel drive modes. I tried the off-road mode, which does nothing. I tried traction control on, traction control off. Flash forward 30 minutes of digging with a shovel I stole off of somebody's front porch. Oh, my God. <laughs> and um, my partner's violin teacher, he came down to help the two of us. She was behind the wheel, and I was pushing, and he was pushing. And we were all trying to just get the the vehicle to – I wanted to rock it. Because once you rock a vehicle, you can get it out of – it's not like I was super stuck in, like, waist-deep snow. So I just need to get it out of the ruts I had made. We were able mm. to rock it out, but it took a really long time. And all this to say – crossovers are not invincible you gotta kind of know their, you gotta kind of know their limits uh snow depth is a real thing any kind of like sand water whatever there's going to be a point where you you're not reaching the limits of the traction control system or the all-wheel drive system you're reaching the limits of physics and the limits of the construction of the vehicle it only has so much ground clearance before you're hitting frame on snow and once that happens it's like being on the middle of a seesaw and the vehicle's supported underneath and the wheels are just kind of freewheeling so that's what happened to me, and it was entirely my fault. It's not the Traverse's yeah. fault that I did that. So that's but, what I was uh, going to say. I mean, this is a, this is a. It's not. It's not exactly user error because I won't say that. I won't say that you're 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 either prone to making decisions like that where you're just going to jam a car in some snow, but at the same time, the average consumer, would they be? They might be empowered or confident feeling in a Traverse to think that they could do something like that, and they might get stuck. Is that possible? Sure, I could see people – well, you know, it's the same thing whenever there's a blizzard. When you look at the side of the road, what are the vehicles in the ditch? They're always trucks and SUVs because people have this unstoppable mentality when they get behind the wheel of something with all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive. They don't stop to think about how that technology doesn't help you stop, for example, mm-hmm. or necessarily turn. Uh, they don't necessarily have the right tires on, like winter tires. So it's it's you know, winter driving, all driving is situational awareness being aware of the conditions that you're driving in, how they're changing, et cetera, et cetera. I was not aware of how deep that snow was, or I was just thinking, you know what? It's a crossover. I can get it out. It's not a problem. And I was wrong. So I messed up. Okay. Um, but Sammy, Sammy, I want to talk to you a little bit about what you've been driving this week. Uh-oh. Because, yeah, so um, after being so hard on the Traverse <laughs> with zero Traverse experience, I believe this week you picked up something that's not just tangentially related to the Traverse, but is basically its its identical twin brother or or sister. Yep, I have the Buick uh, Enclave, which is 100% similar to the to the Traverse. In fact, it's so close to the Traverse, I feel embarrassed that I was I was making and uh, I'm so upset that I I was I was so harsh on your Traverse after driving the Enclave. The first impressions of it are really strong, absolutely strong. I was. I, nothing about the car bothered me or gave me a tough, um, uh, a tough, you know, 
time. I wasn't having an issue with this car. Here's so the, uh, just just to be clear, mm -hmm. this vehicle you're driving has the same engine and transmission as the Traverse that we just talked about. Yeah, same platform, same engine and transmission, probably the same seating arrangement um, and layout of the of the interior. I don't actually have that that pin locked um, cubby storage area. Okay, which is interesting. Um, I also don't have that selectable all-wheel drive system. I either have front-wheel drive or all-wheel drive mode. Well, Buick owners mode. don't go all Buick owners don't go off-road, right? Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Um, I I have. I'm trying to figure out what your car has, or what my car has that makes it worth more than your car. I mean, in the U.S. in the U.S., this car will probably top out just under sixty thousand um, dollars. It starts at under forty. And the model I have will will start at I mean cost at sixty two thousand Canadian. I'm pretty. Uh, it's, I think it's pretty clear what you have that I don't have. You have quiet tuning. I do have quiet tuning. That is definitely an improvement um, uh, and a surprise in each Buick that I've driven. I know that you that probably our listeners hear so much um, nonsensical uh, branding from automakers about you know we have this this one thing that no other automaker has. Um, quiet tuning is a legit thing. It is. Although, although I will say other car companies have their version of, of sound insulation as well. It's not, it's not exclusively a Buick thing, but Buick makes a big deal about it. It fits into their whole quiet luxury persona, which yeah. is a little weird, mm -hmm. but I mean, I like Buicks. I think that they have a good place in the market over the last five years, but it, it's always seems strange to me that that's what your identity would be. So let me, let me. I know you know what you, I know. You mentioned that other automakers have um, some quiet technology or quiet tuning, whatever you want to call it, acoustic tuning in their vehicles. I'm telling you, Buick does something a little bit unique. Um, at least with the Regal that I drove last month, you you might remember that I drove that uh, new Regal Sportback. They had foam in the wheels to help absorb some of the um, the sound that was going on, or kind of like sound deadening in the wheels. Um, and but when I, you pull those wheels and put 22s on, like, aren't you going to lose that? So my car has 20s, and it still sounds quite um, really uh, isolated. Um, again, it has active sound cancellation, um, which is an interesting feature. Um, I actually have heard stories of some people's active sound cancellation not working correctly and it making a ton of really weird noises, like a constant <laughs> like whirring at a certain RPM. Well, you have to wonder, too, like, it, you know how some people are sensitive to certain frequencies that mm -hmm. other people might not hear? Or dogs. So, yeah. So, so sound cancellation, for those who aren't familiar, it works on the principle of the, the entertainment system inside the vehicle emits a counteracting wave to certain sound waves that are generated by your driving. So let's say you have a, a vehicle that, you know, there's a booming sound because it's large and it's an empty SUV. And you don't have it. And the sound system can pick that up and it will generate a, a another wave that will counteract that and attenuate or eliminate it. Um, you can do, also do this passively. There's a, in, in audio engineering, you can create rooms that are shaped in a certain way to either kill certain frequencies or ac accentuate certain frequencies. It's, it's pretty interesting technology. Um, but if it doesn't work right, and I've never been in a vehicle where it doesn't work right, but if it doesn't work right, it's still generating something. <laughs> it's going to generate an awkward noise. Now, this happened to a friend of mine in a CT6, and it just made a really strange high-pitched uh, noise that like anybody, everybody heard and thought that there was something wrong with the car when it was really just something wrong with the sound system. Now, uh, something about sound 
sound technology I wanted to talk about. Uh, this came out of CES last week, where oh, we're going to uh, jump straight to CES stuff. I'm talking about the Enclave over here. Yeah, but it's a good segue. So okay. once again, um, a car company I can't remember which one unveiled some type of concept that had individual speakers in each seat. And the idea was using noise counseling technology, everyone would be able to listen to their own music in their own seat without disturbing anyone else. That sounds like a dream come true, man. That that sounds like a nightmare. Do you want to be in a car that <laughs> has eight different different, th- <laughs> different things playing at once? First of all, this problem was solved about a hundred years ago by a technology called headphones, a technology that still works very well. Second, there's no directed sound technology outside of a very, very expensive studio setup that comes even close to being able to accomplish half of that goal. So I just wanted to kind of call that out as the pie-in-the-sky kind of BS that CES brought to the table this year. Anyway, back to the back to the Enclave. Okay, so what do you want to know about this Enclave? First of all, there's a couple of things that bother me about it. I don't have adaptive cruise control, and I thought a car that costs um, around $50,000 and is is marketed as a premium vehicle. I thought it would have something like adaptive cruise control. And I'm pretty doesn't. sure mine did. I'm, I'm pretty sure I had that that feature. So maybe I don't have a fully spec'd out model of version of the Enclave. This is a premier trim. And uh, in the U.S. they have something extra called the Avenir. Um, which I, I think it might have that uh, that kind, those kind of features. Yeah, very interesting. Um what else does uh, this car... First of all, the, the interior is very sharp, but I don't think it's anything substantially um, noticeably different than what the Traverse has. So this is Mine has a, a very pretty butterscotch interior that they call um, Brandy. And now I've been looking into it. It has nothing to do with the, singer, the R&B singers from the 90s. Must be a full moon, folks. Mm. <laughs> um but the exterior the exterior paint that i have on this car is also uh pretty sharp it's a they call it ebony twilight metallic and it uh oh it goodness. looks great ebony twilight metallic sounds like a nail polish you would get based on the twilight movie series and it looks like the car honestly looks like it sparkles it looks sharp um i really i'm trying to figure out why somebody would pick up the enclave over the traverse especially when the new traverse looks as um, powerful as it does. It quiet looks... tuning, man. It's all about the quiet tuning. Is that it? Is that really it? I think it's because Buick has built-in customers, and those customers want to buy more Buicks. So, you know, it doesn't cost General Motors a lot of money to make a GMC, Chevrolet, and Buick version of this platform. Mm. So they do it. It's 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 like, why is there a Sierra? Why is there a GMC Sierra? There's no reason for it. It doesn't. Well, I mean, no... especially a Sierra, there's no need for a Sierra, especially with, as we mentioned, the high country version of the Silverado. Those are fantastically, uh, um, amazingly outfitted trucks. But, and the but, Sierra but, is just as well equipped. But Denali is such a hugely high selling brand that it makes sense for them to keep it going. Um, what else does this car? I have a full camera display, not just a rear view camera. Did your car have a, a three sixty degree camera? Yes, and it was useful because when you're parallel parking something this large, although the snow kind of it makes it like it's kind of like a video game that's not completed, <laughs> and like you're you're kind of driving and there's like pixels missing or like obscured, and you have to kind of figure out is that a human being or is it just snow? <laughs> um, I have a heated steering wheel. Did you have a heated steering wheel? Of course. Uh, there's nothing in this car that you don't have. You have heated rear seats? I don't know. I didn't try to, to heat them. I just sat back there to check out the space. Was it spacious? It was spacious. Like I said, adult-friendly in the third row. 
and you can slide the the second row seats forward and backward, which is like really helpful for uh, for uh, making that space. But the problem is, like, I couldn't figure out when I was in the third row, I couldn't figure out how to flip the second row seat. I had buckets. And I couldn't figure out how to flip one of those buckets forward to get out. But what you can do in the traverse, because it's so big, is just walk between the yeah. seats. Yeah, which you, can you can't really do in a Highlander. You can do that in an Enclave for sure. Um, and uh, I, I'm really, like I said, what am I gonna? What do I say about this car that your car? First of all, it looks, it definitely looks a little bit smoother uh, or softer than the um, than the traverse. It doesn't have that that really sharp. D pillar um, that the Traverse has, which is really like a 90 degree angle. This one's a little bit more curved. I will admit, I think the front end design of the Buick is prettier than, I think all new Buicks look sharp uh, at the front end. They look really good. They have these fantastic grills, really good um, headlight design. Um, the interior- I like when you say fantastic grills, it makes me think you're Guy Fieri. <laughs> fantastic grills! <laughs> yes. Uh, and I have put my uh, caricature, uh, like spray painted a caricature of my face on the on one of the seats. As a result. Nice. Um, I have three-zone automatic climate control. Yeah, I had that. God. Um, I have remote start. Yeah, I had that. And I used it because it was so cold. And, and ben, before anyone out there crucif- anyone crucifies me for using remote start, I don't use it to warm up the car. I use it to warm up the heating system so when I get in the car, I don't die. So <laughs> that's why I use remote start. I know it's a modern car and you don't have to warm it up. But when it's minus 30 degrees outside, you definitely want to have the heating system every advantage it can possibly get. You have vented seats. How about that? Yeah, I had that. Oh I played back and forth with them. I let them fight it out a little here's, bit. Here, <laughs> here's, here's what you don't have. Ionizing air cleaner. I have absolutely no idea. First of all, that doesn't sound like a real technology. <laughs> Second is. of all, I don't know where I would find that in the car. <laughs> it definitely, I have that, and it says it. Oh, if I it's hit. real, explain how it works. Uh, it uses ionization technology to clean the air. <sighs> Ions are honestly that's the flat Earth of air technology. <laughs> okay, look. What am I trying to say here, Ben? I think that this car has no place when the traverse is as as good as no, it is. No, but you're missing it. You're missing the the fact that it has a place because some people want to buy Buicks. That's so ridiculous. That's, why is oh so it's ridiculous to want a Buick? Wow, there goes that sponsorship. <laughs> ben, we have to, we can't be sellouts. We have to be we have to be honest. Would you buy this Enclave over the traverse? I don't know. I, I haven't. Enclave, your Trumpers even had more all-wheel drive functions for you to get stuck in. Mine think... only had only <laughs> yeah, had an all-wheel drive mode and a front-wheel drive mode, and that was it. But maybe that extra functionality is what made me overconfident. I was like, I <laughs> yeah. got, I got this, I got this. But if I'd been in the Buick, I'd have been like, mm, no. <laughs> I have paddle shifters. Did you have paddle shifters? Yes. I think oh it's no. Wait, God. I didn't. Oh, there we I go. We're I done. I've got it. I oh. don't think I did. Let me check. Uh, the thing is though. <laughs> It's styling. Like, if you like the styling of the Buick and you want to buy the Buick, then I don't think that means Sammy Hajisad should hate you for that. Like, oh, no. No, it didn't have paddle shifters. Okay. So this car has paddle shifters. Can we talk about, a little bit about the um, the drivetrain? Yeah, sure. It's I think a, we already did, but if you want to revisit train. it. That, th- that 3.6, plenty powerful. Um, I have absolutely no idea how much power it makes, Ben. We talked about it about 10 minutes ago, and when you weren't paying attention, well, but it's 310 it's horsepower. 310. Is this the same power? Tr- is it the same V6 engine that's found in like the Camaro? I would assume so. Yeah, I, I'm sure they they have different torque bands, but yeah. 
Um, it is surprisingly good. I have the the weird shifter that was introduced in the um, Envision, I think. What makes the it XT5? weird? The XT5. It's an electronic shifter, and in order for you to put it into reverse, you have to do like a secret handshake with it, which means you push it up and move it to the left um, instead of just pressing a button that says reverse or put pushing it into reverse. You have to do like this combination of, of moves. Um, as a result of this electronic shifter, there's a storage area underneath the shifter column, which is kind of interesting, like a little shelf. And that's I follow, uh, I follow what you're saying. And it's it's completely unimpressive. You see what I mean? I mean, I had a normal shifter and I had a shelf behind the stereo, so I guess it's kind of you <laughs> yes. know it evens I think out. Mine is better, but I can't lock I can't lock it with a pin, a pin code. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, no one's forcing you to buy the Enclave. Is is the bottom line? Look, I have to say, I'm impressed with the with the bare bones of this vehicle. I'm impressed with with the interior design, the exterior design. I'm impressed with the pricing. I think the pricing is fantastic. I like the way that this car drives. When the Traverse is 95% of that, it's tough to say that this car um, is the one for you. That's all. But some people will never buy a Chevrolet. That's true. And do you think those people would prefer to buy a Buick? Yeah, I definitely think that that's why Buick exists. Okay. So uh, they're just covering their bases. I will admit I'm very happy that they've gotten rid of all of the ugly portholes and vents and unnecessary items on the exterior design of the vehicle. And all of Buick seem to be getting better at that. And you know, you use words like ugly, mm -hmm. like they don't cut to the quick. They don't cut to the quick? I'm sorry. Like these words aren't hurtful. <laughs> like these words have no meaning mm -hmm. other than what you say. And, you know, it's just – I don't even know where to start with that, Sammy. Anyways, this car doesn't have ugly features like that, um, and uh, I'm really happy that Buick has recognized that um, ga uh, little gadgets on the on the side of the vehicle is not what makes a car attractive, but it's the overall design um, and the cohesiveness of that design. This car has a very nice, a very nice look to it. Um, that's all I have to say about the Enclave. I'm really sorry that I have nearly the same car as you. As you. Um, the Avenir looks a little bit sharper. Um, that might be the one that really stands out above the Traverse. But uh, I'll have to actually test that and, and report on it. So speaking of testing and reporting, mm -hmm. we are headed to Detroit very soon, are we not? We are heading to J Detroit almost uh, tomorrow, pretty much. That's right. That's right. And we are going to be at the Chevrolet Silverado reveal, which is happening Saturday night before the show. We're going to do a quick um, on-the-scene analysis of the truck. It's the all-new generation of the second best-selling vehicle in North America, I believe. So it's going to be pretty interesting, and it's a good opportunity. We'll be putting that up live. It's kind of an experimental thing for us because we've never really done that short-format podcast before. But we'll be putting that up as soon as we can after the after the reveal itself. But there's a lot of interesting vehicles coming to Detroit. Um, one of them that I wanted to talk about is this Ford Edge ST. And... All the reporting I'm seeing about this vehicle says it's the first performance SUV from Ford. Where has everybody been for the last five, ten years? Like, Sammy, am I crazy to think that there have been other performance SUVs from Ford? Yeah, the Ford Explorer Sport, the Ford Flex um, Titanium with EcoBoost and all-wheel drive. Or maybe even the Ford Edge Sport. Oh, yeah. The Ford Edge Sport. <laughs> Which has, like, exactly the same engine as this Ford Edge ST. What? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the same EcoBoost V6. 330-something horsepower? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same deal. So I guess the ST, it's got a different suspension, but the Sport had, you know, a stiffer suspension too. It's just different badging. It's like, uh, oh, okay. So in in the in the Edge Sport, it had 315 horsepower. Now it has 335. But torque stays at like 380, I guess. I think it was the same for both. Uh, it's rebadging. Like it's different styling. Um, I don't know. It's just disappointing to me when. I read so much about a vehicle that misses the entire genesis of the 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 segment that it's in. Okay, you hold know, up. Like but because it's an ST vehicle, it means that it's tuned by um, what's that company called? Ford Performance. Boom. The uh, people who make the Focus ST, the Ford uh, Focus RS, the Ford. Um, I should I keep saying Ford every time I mention these. Ford, things? Ford, Ford. Hey, I have a question. Does that mean I can take the Edge ST to the uh, Octane Academy? Look, one of my colleagues has actually asked, and they said they're looking into it, which would be interesting, right, man? So, well, so for people who don't know, the Octane Academy is like the driving school that comes with uh, an ST product. So if you buy like a, a Focus ST or a Fiesta ST, you get to go do this one day, I think, driving school mm -hmm. out in Utah. Uh, but I, I don't know what they would teach you with the Edge ST. Like, I guess they teach you how not to flip it over like, <laughs> on a regular basis because it's not like you're going to be carving cones or yeah, I don't think I there's that. I've seen autocross with uh, an Edge ST. There's not going to be any any track club that's going to let you on a racetrack with a vehicle <laughs> like this. Like, it's just not going to happen. And I really think you would probably fry the fluids in the all-wheel drive system after about five laps. But maybe it's more of a of a, um, a graduation car from uh, a, fo a Focus ST or a Fiesta ST. Like, once you or add one of those cars, one of those cars, and you're like... I really like this, but I need something a little bit more practical, which is and bizarre to think more. of in a, in, when you're moving up from a Focus SD. But bear with me. I think it's possible. Something something more practical and absolutely completely different. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know that. We haven't driven it yet. Or it's maybe you own a Ford Edge Sport right now, <laughs> yes. and you've been completely forgotten by the entire automotive media. And you're like, man, to stay relevant, I've got to move to the ST. This Sport is nothing. It has zero resale value. It's like it never existed in the first place. So, okay, so the Ford Edge SC is coming. Uh, we'll see it in flesh. I'm very excited about that because it'll finally solve that problem of not not having an SUV ST model, right? Yeah, it'll, it'll fi finally solve the problem of what were they going to replace the almost identical Edge Sport with. Yeah. <laughs> um, it has a new front grille, which is pretty sharp, you've got to admit. And oh, yeah, that's totally negating the entire existence of another identical product. And I think it has new seats. Okay. What else is going to come to Detroit, Sammy? I believe a new Ram is coming to Detroit. A new Ram. Are you sure about that? Because I heard that was just a rumor. Uh, a 2019 Ram to go up right against this 2019 Silverado. Well, that'll be interesting because the Ram is my favorite full-size pickup. They're all pretty good, but the Ram's just got that extra interior niceness that really kind of pushes it over for me. Um, I also, and the coil springs in the back. Don't forget the coil springs in the back. I hear there's some really interesting technology about this um, RAM that will make it stand out against its competitors. So, P, so play. So please pay attention to our next podcast when we're at the show. Uh, I heard can, a strange rumor that the Chevrolet Silverado is going to come with a horizontally opposed engine that gets 37 miles per gallon. Um, <laughs> I read that on, I believe, GM Inside News. So I'm very curious to find out if that's... That up. I am not making that up. I am not making that up. <laughs> There's no such thing! Okay, 
first of all, you can't predict the future. Second of all, we'll find out tomorrow night. So we will have a live Sammy eating his words if this thing is true yeah. in within 24 hours. Right. Um, what about we have a really weird Nissan uh, car. I can confirm it, it has a side profile, and that's all we know about it. It looks like a Viacross, which is sweet. Or an Xterra. It could be an Xterra with some um, gadgets on top. It's kind of funny how, like, uh, 10 years ago, there were a whole bunch of off-road-focused SUVs like the Xterra and the FJ Cruiser, and now there's none except for the Jeep, and Ford is coming back with the Bronco, and now maybe we have this Xterra again, and there's a brand new Jeep. It's like, it's so strange, the cycles in the industry where people just are product planners. Sometimes it feels almost arbitrary how they decide which vehicles are hot and, and which vehicles are not. It's, <laughs> it's like it's like the MTV... Yes. Um, like uh total request live product planning edition like how are you gonna you know it's it's carson daly doesn't necessarily know what america wants to hear but here it is um some people think that there's a ranger a ranger might show up oh here's the real big one you love trucks you love big badass off-road trucks the new and i love dinosaurs too yes. don't forget that so, at detroit in totally encased in amber is a 1979 g-class which they describe as being stronger than time. Okay, <laughs> let's break this down a bit. What do you mean? How much amber is that? And how much amber is there in the world? And how much amber was used when they shot the first Jurassic Park movie? First of all, because... it's 45 tons of amber. Okay, I refuse to believe <laughs> that that's real. I don't think there's 45 tons of amber, period. Okay, so it's not, I don't think it's exactly amber like is it like an amber colored resin, something like apparently. a silica yeah resin yeah, yeah? and this is, are to, they gonna... this is to this is whatever gimmick that mercedes has to do to uh get people to think about the g-class which is for some reason that they think people have stopped thinking about it i think they want uh, isn't their whole advertising campaign based on the whole we extracted the dna from this dinosaur vehicle that actually we're still building and probably didn't need to extract the DNA from them. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You know, it, what I, what I want to know is, are they going to crack that amber open during the reveal? I like, hope is there so. going to be a huge I really hammer? hope so. Think of how, that would be crazy. That is, that is close to, I think the limit of what you could do in a media environment and control what happens next. <laughs> like, I hope you, every you, journalist has a chance to chip away and the person who chips away the final piece gets to keep the 1979 G-Class. Amber-filled G-Class. Yeah, it won't work, will it? You know that the Germans have run like a million simulations to see what happens <laughs> if you slam this with a giant hammer. They're not leaving it up to chance. It's like, or maybe they'll use a laser and cut it out with a la That would be pretty cool. That would be kind of cool. Also, I would be scared to death to be in a room with an amber-cutting laser. <laughs> Why? It works because that, that I mean, just everything seems like in Jurassic. Look, all I know about all I know about amber is something is learned is picked up from Jurassic Park, and as, yeah, as it, I can tell, that everything worked out fine in that book. Well, you know what I learned from <laughs> Jurassic Park is it's it's really important to be there when the uh, G class comes out of the amber and is born into the world because then it imprints itself on you as its father. <laughs> yeah, and it it's less likely to devour you later in the film. Um. Okay, well, beyond the G-Class and its amber, we're going to see a new Toyota Avalon. Okay. Okay. Um, we're going to see a Hyundai Veloster. Kind of excited about that. I'm actually really excited about that. But here's the weird thing. I'm going to throw one of my colleagues um, some, some, a shout-out here. 
My colleague Sam McEachran, uh, who's the news editor at autoguide.com, he did a video um, previewing this upcoming Veloster, and he called it the Veloster. What? Yeah. Like Velocity? Yeah, like Velocity. So no I'm trying to figure velocity. out, have you heard that before? No, not until now. Have I been saying it wrong but that this might entire be, time? That might be because I speak English properly. Oh, okay. Well, Sorry, I, Sam. Uh, that wasn't aimed at you. That was aimed at Sammy. <laughs> I can barely say anything properly. Um, let's talk about the Veloster. The Veloster is a very interesting car. It was um, it was a really stylish. It stood out, um, and it was a subcompact. Um, that was really cool. And to see it get a new generation is pretty exciting, I think. Well, I'm hopeful that the magic that they captured with the um, uh, Elantra Sport mm -hmm. can somehow be translated to the Veloster because the Veloster never really drove as fun as it looked. And I think that Hyundai is getting a lot better about creating platforms that take care of that problem. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to ask you if you've driven a version of the Veloster Turbo called the Rally Edition. I have. I think that one is the closest to the rally, the Elantra Sport that the Veloster ever got, and I thought it was really Yeah. Cool. It's definitely close, but it's not as lively. Okay. I think the, the biggest problem I have, when I first drove the Veloster, it was with the drivetrain, it was the manual drivetrain and the turbo engine, <laughs> but there was a, every time you shifted, there was a big drop-off in yeah. revs, yeah, yeah. and uh, there was like a hesitation when you got back on the throttle. It just wasn't, it felt... And it wasn't engaging. It was like the chassis wanted to have fun, and the engine was like, no, I don't think so. And then when they made the rally one, and they made that a lot better, they really took a lot of that, I guess, roughness out of the equation. But it still wasn't quite as uh, up to the same level as some other sport compacts. And then the Elantra Sport came out, and the Elantra Sport is a barrel of monkeys. So um, I that think that... That a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for translating. I and mean, I don't I know. That... If I got shipped a barrel of monkeys and somebody just like, here's some, here's a barrel, open it up, and then I would open it up and I'd be like, oh, this is way worse than a like a, a can of snakes. Because it's throwing snakes can't throw feces. Yeah, at you. brutal. I mean, maybe they can. Maybe there's a breed. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard of the sidewinder. Yeah, that's their secret talent. <laughs> snakes got talent. <laughs> Uh, reptiles got talent actually, uh, and there's wow, also that's a frog. Very, that's very that's very inclusive of you. Yeah, there's a frog that can say Budweiser. Okay, first of all, frogs are not reptiles; they're amphibians, so that's racist. Second <laughs> of all, you should have gone with iguanas or monitor lizards or something like that. Gila monsters. Come on, man. There's a world of reptiles out there, and you had to pick the one amphibian. My bad. I'll do more biology research before doing do the some podcast. Community do some community service for the amphibian community before we let you back on the mic. All right, what were we talking about? Oh, a barrel full of monkeys. Uh, I had a game when I was a kid called Barrel Full of Monkeys, and it was a plastic barrel yeah. with these red plastic monkeys that had, like, hooked arms. Mm -hmm. And you had to see how many you could hook and pull out of the barrel without, like... It was kind of like Jenga, but with monkeys. It was, like, opposite Jenga. Okay. <laughs> my problem is when I had that game as well, but when I first saw my like my very first real monkey, it didn't have arms like that at all. It had scary strong arms it that were wrapped like around you and your mother was screaming. Articulated arms, and I was like, oh crap. Why is Sammy in the cage? <laughs> um, so, yeah, Veloster. So, I can't wait for it to be, I can't wait to drive it. So it's going to look sharp no matter what. If It's probably going to have that really neat asymmetrical design again. Um, that means three doors on the passenger side and one door on the driver's side, which is always funky. Um, hopefully it has the very nice interior design that uh, Hyundai has been known for. And yeah, over the years, since the, the time the Veloster first debuted, Hyundai has really picked up their game in terms of 
quality, um, reliability, and um, driving dynamics. So this could be a really solid car now. You agree with me on so that? So I, I do agree with you on that. And I just want to say, uh, if you want to hear more about what's happening in Detroit, we're both going to be at the show on Monday, and we're going to be doing a live show from the floor of the show, like we did in LA. Mm-hmm. We're going to have more time to do it this year because <laughs> you won't have it, to catch a flight. Yeah, I won't yeah, have to after. catch a flight to Portugal like, in the middle I'm, of the afternoon. I'm actually, I was, we were actually walking towards the the taxi taking Ben to the to the airport while we were doing that video. That yeah, so it's it's going to be, uh, we'll have more time to go more in depth, and hopefully AMG will have some cool donut stuff for us again. Okay. But if not, it's going to be a good time. Uh, it, it, it was fun to do last time, and I think we've got it. We've we're going to have just as much fun this time. Um, Sam, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about before we signed off sure. for this week, and that's uh, in my part of the world recently there was a news story where a and my part of the world is, is Quebec. Your part of the world, my part of the world. It's no, it's well, it's five hours away, so it's you know, it's it's, it's a good difference. But uh, there was a guy who was pulled over because uh, I think he was he didn't have any working brake lights. <laughs> but that's not all that was wrong with his car. It was a 1999 Toyota Tercel. He had an open beer in the front seat. He had no proof of insurance. But more to the point, he had a fake suspension system. Um, they found it because they when they looked at his car, as soon as they saw there were no brake lights, they're like, we're going to check and see if there's other safety violation. They saw that his tires had, like, weird tread wear on them. Like, part of them were worn out. He only had one good tire. On closer inspection, there was no rear suspension in the car at all. Hmm? It had a rear suspension that was held in place by wooden logs. Oh, no. These, what? These wooden, the, the wooden logs, they connected. And I say connected in the loosest possible way. The axle of the vehicle to the body of the vehicle. He had them wired up with chicken wire. And uh, also, the car had no windshield wipers. <laughs> they were gone. <laughs> That's sketchy. So this is kind of the, I think, trifecta of messed up homemade car repairs. The first question I have is, um, if you're replacing the suspension on your car, is it more or less effort to cut blocks of wood that fit exactly into <laughs> where you would normally have shock absorbers? <laughs> It's gotta, Actually, you know what? I think it had shock absorbers. These were taking the place of the springs. Okay. <laughs> this is so bizarre. Yeah, I guess it would be. I mean, it might be cheaper if the guy lived anywhere near, you know, forest and had all that stuff. It's definitely not more time, uh, you know, like time friendly, right? Like it's not more time efficient. You can no, probably just go to a dealership, pick up your things, and put them in the car. But or if go to just, a junkyard next next to the forest where you're cutting your spring logs. And like, lives, like not every forest has a junkyard next to it, man. Okay, that's you don't know that. And and <laughs> you second, <don't> know. <laughs> I'd be curious to know like what type of wood he used, and if different types of wood provide you with more or less danger. Like, uh, if you use birch, is it like a nice crisp ride? If you use pine, is it kind of softer, softwood kind of ride? When you were when you were growing up, did you have to do any, let's say, low-dollar repairs to your car to get you through the week when you didn't have money to repair it? No, absolutely not. I, I had the opposite of low-dollar repairs. Um, I had, I think I mentioned I had a, a C-Class, and it used to eat fuses. It, every time I would adjust the seat or move the seat at all, uh, and I had to move it a lot because my, I used to be like the go-to de- um, designated driver for my buddies. Um, so anytime you know somebody sits behind me, I have to move my seats forward or backwards. Um, every time I would do that, the, a fuse would short out, and I would just have this baggie full of fuses with me. Are you sure that's what's in that baggie, son? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and so my my dad would always be like, why don't you just use aluminum foil? And I was like, I think that's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Your dad sounds like a practical man. I mean, sure, it heats up. <laughs> um. There's a guy, uh, there's an apocryphal story of a guy who shot himself by using a bullet casing. His friend used a bullet casing in a fuse box instead of a uh, fuse because they didn't have it. And it was for the headlights, right? So they needed them to get home. And uh, the, the the guy thought the casing was empty, but it wasn't empty. And it, it heated up and exploded and shot the guy in the leg. Okay, ouchie. That's the, but I remember um, I had a pickup, I had several pickup trucks, and a few of them were very, very much beaters. And I, it was an 85 F-150, and I was about oh 300 kilometers from home so you know 150 200 miles and the the drive shaft cv joint broke like right in the middle um sorry it wasn't a cv joint it's a, it was a u joint and i was at a friend's place and he his dad and i tried to wire up the the u joint using like hangers and whatever bailing wire that we had but here's the thing the drive shaft kind of takes all the torque from the engine <laughs> And so hangers aren't going to cut it, man. That thing just kept – we were trying to get it to, like, a service station using these hangers on the side of the road. And it just – every time we put it in gear, it would snap. Oh, no. And, yeah, that was that was expensive. I remember one time – this isn't exactly a repair, but um, I was uh, visiting my girlfriend at the time up north in northern Quebec. So about two hours from Montreal. And it was in the winter. And I had pulled into her driveway, the driveway of her parents' place where she was uh, staying for the holidays. And the uh, it was so slippery that the there was a ditch and a, a little bridge that went across the ditch. And the car just – my truck just went straight off into the ditch. Oh. And then it, in slow motion flipped over onto its roof. Oh, my God. <laughs> like on the side. Yeah. So I had to get out of the truck Upside, from the top, which yeah. isn't – it's not easy. The door keeps hitting you on the head. But uh, more to the point, when the tow truck guy came and pulled it out of the ditch, he pulled my brake lines out because he attached to the wrong part of the suspension. What? And I only had one – the right rear brake was the only brake that still worked. Mm. So my philosophy at the time I was in my early 20s was I'll just drive faster than everyone else and I'll never get involved in a pack of cars and that way – I won't have any danger. <laughs> what? That's and I drove worst. all the way. Have you learned better than that lately? Have you learned anything? You know. I drove all the way back to Montreal, yeah. two hours on the highway, with with the one brake, and I just downshifted all the time. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it worked out okay. I mean, I didn't die, and no one else died. But uh, yeah, I didn't have any money to fix the car. Like it was just there was no other way I could get back home to work. So if you're listening, don't ever do that. <laughs> there's there's always a better way. Um, Take an Uber, which wasn't possible back in 2002 mm -hmm. or 2001 or 2000. I don't remember. It's a long time ago. Um, so you know what? Why don't we ask our listeners to uh, reach out to me and you on Twitter, and we can find out what other bizarre repairs people have um, have um, conducted. We should. I would love to hear. I would love to hear those and put them on Facebook too. I have two more. Sandy, oh, you do? Yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah, yeah. So I used to have another beater. Well, it wasn't a beater until I got it, and then I ran it into the ground, which was it. It was a car that was intended for my sister. I was living at home at the time, um, and then I moved out, and my car broke, and my parents were like, "Why don't you use this car for your sister? She doesn't have her license yet." It was a 1984 Chevy Celebrity, one of the worst vehicles I've ever owned. But uh, I can remember the passenger side front window just dropping down into the door. Oh, right. And it was middle of the winter, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess the guides had come off or something. So we used a hockey puck 
wedged into the door frame and the glass to hold the window up. And whenever someone oh, wanted to put the window fuck. down, oh. they would just pull the pocket and it would drop straight down. <laughs> and then you would talk and then you would pull it back up. This is the most Canadian jerry-rigged repair. And, and on that vehicle, too, it had a heater. Uh, the, the fan for the heater, some type of fan under the hood that wouldn't turn off. I believe it was the heater box that was attached to the dashboard. So I would turn the car off, and when it was cold, there was a short that would keep feeding it power. And the only way I could get it to, to, to you know, turn itself off was by beating it repeatedly with something heavy. And I was at a friend's place one time, and he didn't have a hammer. He had a hatchet, like a small hatchet. Oh, my God. And so the hatchet has like, you know, it's, it's pretty heavy at one end. So we use the dull end of the hatchet and I'm banging on this this heater box trying to get it to stop. And the hatchet blade flies off the handle <gasps> into the motor. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's dark and I don't know where it goes and it didn't hit the ground. And I, I was like, oh, I got to get out of here the next day. And I didn't feel like like looking for it. So I just drove around with this hatchet blade somewhere in the engine, like probably wedged between the motor mount and the frame for the rest of the winter. Um, I have a, I have something I would share. One of my, one of my friends had a Jeep Grand Cherokee, a nineties, uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee. And, um, there was a tiny bit of rust on the interior, inside of the door. And as a result, the, um, the door pin that would, that would sense that the door was closed was kind of like, like where it would go into was completely rusted through. So it was just like it was okay. going into a hole. So the car would never think that the door was open or closed. It, oh, I mean, it would never think the door was closed. It would always think that it's open. And the alarm would go off or the car would be beeping constantly or, like, it was uh-huh. threatening that the airbag would go off. So we just stuffed it full of, like, pennies. Like that <laughs> hole. <laughs> Wait, this goes back to this goes back to the Lego behind the dash, right? Like, was it super noisy at all times? No, we, like, taped it. We taped it on with, like, tuck tape or, du- or duct tape. And it worked out just fine. He was like, I've got pennies all up in my car. I've, I've increased the value. Well, I guess pennies are kind of like shims. Yeah. Shims that you can spend at the bank. Yeah. Like, it's... So, well, you know, that that's that's hilarious. If anyone else out there has been uh, penny wise, pound foolish with their vehicle and wants to hit us up with their jury rigged repairs, we would love to hear it. You can reach us, like Sammy said on Twitter. Um, Sammy's Twitter handle is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And mine is at Hunting Benjamin. You can also mm-hmm. find us on Facebook using the Unnamed Automotive Podcast Facebook page. Sammy, where uh, where else can they find older podcasts if they want to want to get a little flavor for what we've done before? Oh, thanks for throwing that to me. I can I can handle this question. They can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and from there you can actually subscribe to the current podcast using whatever um, podcast system that you use, as well as you can see all of our old stuff. You, um, in addition to seeing all of our old stuff, we typically have photos and links associated to the articles that we published on each of the cars that we've talked about um and you can also get our facebook page our link to our facebook page from there as well so we hope that you'll join us tomorrow night when we broadcast live from uh, detroit and well live when we post shortly after broadcasting live from detroit at the silverado unveil and then monday uh we will be at the show and we will have something put together for you next week describing all of our reactions impressions and all the fun stuff that happens at the largest auto show in North America. Thank you for listening. And Ben, thanks for all the laughs this podcast. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye.